0: It's also possible for a lawyer to be just plain stupid, isn't it? I'm, I, am, I am disgusted by the lawyers. Please, I'm an attorney. I can tort you into the poorhouse. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, I'm going to share some more lawyer stories with you. We haven't talked about the law in a little while, and since I did talk about it in the stream the other night, I thought I'll bring some of those stories to the podcast. As you might expect, having practiced law for a good number of years, I have a good number of stories from the practice, but one of the interesting things about the practice of law is all of the stuff that you run into while you're doing it. And it all depends on the field of law that you're in. You're going to run into different characters if you're practicing family law than you do if you're practicing criminal law. You're going to have different experiences if you're a prosecutor than you are if you're a criminal defense attorney. If you draft wills and trusts and never set foot in the courtroom, you're not going to have any trial stories. If you're a trial attorney and all you do is civil litigation, you're not going to handle any multi-million dollar mergers. And as I've explained before, not every attorney does everything. You find your field and you practice in it. I've practiced in several different areas, but I've always been a litigator. I've always been in court. That's where I've wanted to be. That's where I felt like I've done my best work. That is where I've done my best work. And I've done criminal defense. I've done family law. I've been a prosecutor. And I've done a lot of workers' compensation. Also some civil litigation along the way. Some depositions outside of court. But I've always been doing that kind of thing. Litigation. And so doing that, you're going to run into a lot of different people, a lot of different experiences, and you're going to accumulate a lot of different stories. Now, as I mentioned when I told some stories in the past, I am bound by attorney-client privilege. So there are certain aspects of certain stories, and actually certain stories in their entirety, that I can't tell. I'm just not allowed to. Even if I don't tell you the names, even if I don't know the people anymore, even if I'm not practicing law anymore, I'm bound by privilege. That's just the way it is. Those are the rules. So when I do share stories, the stories that I do share, they're all based on information that's in the public record, that's publicly available, that's either been reported in the newspapers, or it was said in open court, or it's part of a deposition. It's somehow public information. I can't reveal client confidences, no matter how old they are. Them's the rules, and those are the rules that I agreed to play by when I became an attorney. So I've got a couple of stories that I'm going to share with you. One of them is the one that I told on the stream the other night. The other one is kind of a long story from my criminal defense days, one of my earliest jobs. Neither of these are upbeat stories, by the way. That's one of the problems when you do criminal defense, when you do criminal prosecution. You don't run into a lot of upbeat stories. I'm not rescuing many kittens out of trees. That's not what I do. As a criminal defense attorney, you're representing criminals. As a prosecutor, you're facing down criminals. It's not all upbeat. I mean, as a prosecuting attorney, one of my job duties was to be on duty at night. What does that mean? Well, when the police have to answer a call for domestic violence, for instance, in the middle of the night, sometimes they're in a position where they're going to need a temporary restraining order because the happy couple is no longer happy. They have to separate them. And sometimes they're not willing to be separated. Or at least one of the parties, usually the guy, is not willing to voluntarily leave the home where he's just beaten the crap out of his wife or girlfriend. So you need a temporary restraining order on the spot to get him out of the house. But a cop can't do that. They have to call the prosecutor. And the prosecutor can't do that. The prosecutor has to call a judge. So what happens is at two o'clock in the morning, a cop is answering a domestic violence call, gets to the scene, needs to separate the people, needs a TRO, temporary restraining order, and needs authority to get it. So the cop calls the duty prosecutor. When I'm on duty, that would be me gives me the facts, then I have to wake up the duty judge. And I have to explain to the judge why I'm waking them up at 2.30 in the morning, looking for a TRO. And as you might expect, it's never good. Not at 2.30 in the morning. Not in a domestic violence situation. Those are not upbeat stories. But that's the stuff you face as a prosecutor. So the first story I was going to share with you is from my days as a prosecutor. I did tell this one on the Twitch stream the other night. It has a weird start. It has a tragic ending. There's nothing upbeat about it. It's just one of those things that has stayed with me for literally decades. One of those unique set of circumstances that may happen once in your life. And you'll never understand why things worked out the way they did. And you'll never understand why they ended the way they did. Again, not an upbeat story. So if you need upbeat stories this week, this is not your episode. That goes for this story. That goes for the next story. I'm warning you ahead of time. I love the fact that you want to listen. But if you're looking for upbeat stories, this is the exact opposite of an upbeat episode. So, as a prosecutor, one of my duties was to set bails. Every day there are people who are arrested and they have to be brought before a judge so that bail is set. Bail is technically set so you can get out of jail pending your trial. You're supposed to post a certain amount of money that is supposed to guarantee your appearance. It's got to be something that's important enough for you to show up in court But in theory, it's not supposed to be such a huge amount of money that you can't afford to post it. And you've seen bail hearings on TV and in the movies. Well, the defendant is a flight risk. There should be no bail. Or the crime is so severe, bail should be a million dollars. And then, of course, the defense attorney says, Well, the defendant has strong ties to the community. He's got no criminal record. The prosecution's case is entirely circumstantial. I don't think there should be any bail at all, Your Honor. But in real life, you get bail hearings for basically anything you've been arrested for. Now, bail might be what they call ROR, released on their own recognizance. That means you don't really have to post money. All you have to do is sign a piece of paper that says, yeah, I promised to show up on my court date. That's usually somebody who's been arrested for a small shoplifting charge, public intoxication, something small and stupid and somebody local, so you know they're going to show up. That's an ROR bail bail might be $1,000. It could be $10,000. What the prosecutor's job is supposed to be when setting bail is to evaluate the circumstances of the crime, or the misdemeanor, and set a bail that's appropriate for the person and the crime. And as I said, it could be $1,000, it could be $10,000, it could be a million dollars, depending on the crime. And ordinarily what happens is you ask for a bail, but you also ask for a 10% alternative, which means that instead of a $10,000 bail, the defendant has the option to post a bond secured by a bail bondsman. I'm sure you've heard of them. You've seen them in the movies. That's a guy who posts your bond, and all you have to do is pay him 10% of what the bail is. Instead of paying $10,000, you can post $1,000 to the bail bondsman, and they'll post your bail, and they'll come after you if you don't repay them or if you don't show up. Now, you're probably wondering how a bail hearing can have a tragic outcome. This is how. A gentleman from out of town was arrested at a local hotel. He was arrested for running up and down the halls naked. It's not 100% clear if he was having a psychotic break or if he was just drunk or both. But he was running through the halls, banging on doors, naked. So the police were called. They arrested him, brought him to the jail. I have the bail hearing the next day. And this guy's on a list of 10 or 12 other people. And I get a brief synopsis of what the facts are. I see he's arrested. I see he's from out of town. Being from out of town, he's automatically a flight risk. But he's got no criminal record that I can see. And the charges are basically disturbing the peace. Is it a huge crime? No, it's not a huge crime. Is it something that we have to prosecute? Yeah, it's probably something we have to prosecute. The hotel wanted to press charges. So we have to keep the guy. We have to keep him under arrest. We have to have a bail hearing on him. He's got to show up. He's got to defend on the case. Are we going to offer him a plea at some point? Probably. Is it going to be a relatively easy thing to dispose of? Yeah, probably, as long as the guy shows up. But first things first, we have to set his bail. So at a bail hearing, the guy was actually appearing via video. We had a camera down in the jail, and he shows up on the camera. And the judge asked me for my recommendation. And I've been doing this for a while. You know, what is it? Is it out-of-towner, minimal charges? I say, $10,000 bail, Your Honor, with a 10% alternative. What that means is if the guy can come up with a grand, he can post that with a bail bondsman and have his bail met. So the judge asks the guy, Sir, can you post $1,000? And the guy said, No, I don't have $1,000. And the judge asked him, Well, how much do you have, sir? And the guy said, I can post $800. So the judge looks back at me, Mr. Gamer Dude. Now, I know what I'm supposed to do. The judge wants the guy to be able to post bail. I get it. He's from out of town. I'm supposed to request a reasonable bail. The judge is telling me, ask for $8,000 so the guy can post his $800 and get out. I mean, I'm no idiot. I know what the judge wants me to do. So I say, okay, judge, I revise my request. Request an $8,000 bail. And the judge said, granted, bail set at $8,000, 10% alternative. And that was it. That was the end of the hearing for that guy. And just like dozens and dozens and dozens of other bail hearings that I had conducted before then and that I have conducted after that, I didn't give the guy a second thought until the next morning. For whatever reason, and nobody knows the reason, I don't know the reason, nobody in the jail knew the reason, nobody anywhere knew the reason, but for whatever reason, the guy didn't post the $800, the guy stayed in jail. As a result of his decision to stay in jail, he was in jail for dinner that night. And for dinner that night, they served whatever they served. But for dessert, they served apples. And yes, I remember this vividly because I read about it the next day. When the guy got to his dessert, he took a bite of the apples and it got stuck in his throat. And it cut off his hair. And the jail staff called the paramedics, called the EMTs. But for whatever reason, and again, I don't know, but for whatever reason, they couldn't save him. And the guy died. I'll never know why the guy didn't post his $800. I'll never know why the EMTs couldn't save him with just some apple in his throat. I'll never know why this guy's life ended the way that it did. I can't say that it's bothered me, because I did what I was supposed to do. The guy said he could post $800, so I set the bail at something that he could post, and then he never posted the bail. This is just one of those things that always stays with you. I don't know why it turned out this way. I don't know why this guy's life ended the way that it did. And I guess that's why it stays with me. The other story is from my criminal defense days. This actually happened before I was a prosecutor. The first firm that I worked at as an attorney was a small firm. We did criminal defense and family law. I've got some family law stories. We're going to save those. Those are less tragic. They're just more astonishing as to what people do to each other and how they treat each other. But this next story is a really nasty criminal defense case. Again, no happy endings here. This is not an upbeat story. This is just one of those real life, this shit happens stories. And I guess if you've ever wondered, has he actually seen some shit? Yeah, I've seen some shit. And it's stuff that you don't like to talk about. So this is about a client that my boss had. My boss was well-renowned as a criminal defense attorney. He had good relationships with the prosecutors, with the judges. He got good deals. He could negotiate a good criminal defense deal. And the reason for that, he was a good litigator. They didn't want to go to trial with him. If you're a good litigator, you can get a jury to buy into your story sometimes. If you're able to communicate, if you're a little bit charming and you have a decent knowledge of the law, you can be successful. And all it takes is one or two successful criminal defense cases to make prosecutors more willing to deal with you and make judges respect you. And so my boss had that. He had that going for him. One of the clients he had was a guy who was accused of sexually abusing his two stepdaughters. This is all public record. I'm not revealing any confidences with this. Everything I'm about to tell you is all public record. This is all documented in police reports. It's actually documented in newspaper stories. It's actually documented in TV stories. Because this was a big case. This is stuff that was happening in a relatively small town. And it was a pretty big case when a guy is accused of sexually abusing his stepdaughters. And I mean, they had all kinds of evidence. They had testimony. They had medical reports. There was a venereal disease of the throat. Yes, disgusting, horrible, horrible stuff. But my boss was able to negotiate a decent plea agreement for this guy. He was facing multiple counts, two stepdaughters. He was going to enter a plea, one count, each of the daughters. And he was going to get a seven-year sentence. And the two sentences, one for each count, were to be served concurrently, which means at the same time. You can have consecutive sentences or you can have concurrent sentences. Consecutive means serve one sentence, then the next sentence comes after that. Concurrent means you're serving both sentences at the same time. Ideally, if you're a criminal, you want concurrent sentences. You get out sooner. I mean, if you're serving two concurrent 99-year sentences, doesn't matter so much. But serving two concurrent 7-year sentences is much better than serving two consecutive 7-year sentences. So this guy had a good deal, especially considering that it was pretty much an open-and-shut case. So they worked out all the paperwork. They worked out all the details of the deal. The only thing left to do was what's called a pre-sentence report. Before they sentence a guy to any prison time, the judge always gets a pre-sentence report that usually indicates everything about the guy's background, from high school through college, any criminal record. They do a deep dive into the guy's background just to make sure he, A, is who he says he is, and B, doesn't have anything else rattling around in the closet that would indicate that he should get a more severe sentence. And a pre-sentence report usually takes something like 30 days. So my boss got this guy out on bail during the pre-sentence report. Not unheard of, not always something that happens, but given who was in play, my boss, the prosecutor, they knew each other, the judge granted bail. Well, this defendant decided to use his time outside of jail to fake his suicide. He drove his car to the lake, drove it right to the edge of the lake, left a note on the steering wheel, blaming all of his problems, all of the issues, on his then ex wife, the mother of the stepdaughters he'd been molesting. It was all her fault. And he left footprints from the car into the lake. That was the way he staged his suicide. And it made all the papers and there was all kinds of questions about why he would do it and blah, blah, blah. But the case was essentially closed at that point. 30 days later, the guy is arrested on the peace bridge between Canada and the United States up by Niagara Falls. I always thought it was ironic that he was arrested on the peace bridge where the customs officials beat the shit out of him because he was resisting. He was coming back to the U.S. from Canada. He'd made it to Canada. I never learned why he was coming back, but he was on his way back to the U.S., and I guess they were checking IDs at the border? This is long before 9-11, so checking papers at the border was not a usual thing. They would usually just wave buses and cars through at the border. But for whatever reason, this guy got caught and got the shit beat out of him. So they brought him back to our town, threw him back in jail. They didn't continue his bail during the pre-sentence report. Not now. You screwed that one up, buddy. And so once the pre-sentence report was complete this time, the court set another date for sentencing. Well, my boss was not going to go. He had negotiated a great deal for this guy. He had put his reputation out there for this guy. He had talked to the judge. He had talked to the prosecutor. And this guy screwed him. This guy, by faking his suicide and fleeing the country, made my boss look like an idiot. So my boss was not going to appear at the sentencing. Guess who got to go? Yeah, the able young associate. I got to appear for this guy's sentencing. Yes, the child molester. The admitted child molester. The one who faked his suicide and fled to Canada. Yeah, I got to go to court with him. And as you might expect, the day of court, the TV crews were there. The newspaper photographers were there. Guess whose picture was all over the front page of the paper? Yeah, that would be me. Me standing next to my illustrious client. Oh, were we on the nightly news too? Yeah, we were. We were there on the 6 o'clock news. I looked more ashamed than he did. I still have a newspaper clipping tucked away somewhere just to remind me of the scum that's out there. And yeah, I'm, I'm hanging my head like I'm the one who did something. No, I'm hanging my head because I have to stand next to this idiot. So we go to the court for the sentencing hearing. We take our places at the defense table. They bring him in from the jail in shackles. Imagine that. And the first thing he does is lean into me and ask where my boss is. And I explained to him that my boss isn't coming. And I explained why very nicely. And then he said to me that he wanted to talk to the court. He wanted to explain himself. And I advised him against that. And I can tell you this conversation, this is not a privileged conversation, because he made me go in front of the judge and say this. He told me to tell the judge that he wanted to talk to him. And as an attorney, I'm obligated to follow what he wanted me to do, despite my advice to the contrary. And so when the judge turned to me and said, Mr. Gamer, do you have anything to say? I said to him, yes, your honor. Against the advice of counsel, Mr. So-and-so would like to address the court. And the judge looked at me with his eyebrows raised, and I'll never forget it. The judge looked at me like I was the crazy one. And I shrugged, because that's all I could do. And the judge let him spiel for ten minutes. You gotta remember, this is a judge who granted bail during the pre-sentence report. This guy embarrassed the judge, embarrassed his attorney, embarrassed the prosecutor. And now he wants to explain himself. The judge trusted this guy. Now, the judge has to let the guy talk, but there's nothing, there's nothing he can say that's going to make anything any better with this judge. And the guy ranted and raved about his ex-wife and about how they beat the shit out of him on the bus and blah, blah, blah. He had a tale of woe as long as my arm. And then he was done. The judge let him rant, let him say his piece, asked me if I had anything to add. I did not. What am I going to say? Well, Your Honor, he's not as big a piece of shit as you think he is. I mean, there's nowhere for me to go. And so what the judge did is he handed down a sentence. And instead of getting two seven-year sentences to be served concurrently, this guy got two 20-year sentences to be served consecutively. Now, to be sure, he would get time off for good behavior, so he wasn't going to do the full 40, but he parlayed a seven-year sentence into a 40-year sentence. And that's not easy to do. So there's a couple of the stories that have stayed with me for my entire career. Because those both happened early on. I haven't done criminal defense, and I haven't been a prosecutor for many, many years. I spent a good number of years doing workers' comp. I spent a good number of years doing civil litigation and appeals. And I have stories from that, too. But these two stories, these that I just told you, they've stayed with me since the beginning. I have other stories as well. When I was a prosecutor, I was part of the team that was prosecuting a huge murder retrial. And I'm going to tell you that story at another time. But that was an ugly one, man. Rich dude murders his wife in the basement with the help of his mistress. Got tried and convicted. The conviction overturned on appeal. So we retried him and I was part of the team on the retrial. Boy, there was some stuff going on with that one, let me tell you. But that trial took five months and we were at it every single day for five months. I did other things too, but that was my primary focus. But I'm going to save that tale for another day. But there are some things that just stay with you, and those two stories, they've been with me for decades, and I figured I'd share them with you today. Anyway. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this very serious, not really upbeat episode. It's just another part of what made me who I am today. Whether that's good or bad, I leave that up to you to decide. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.